Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Come on, somebody. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. How you guys doing this morning? Even though you lost an hour of sleep, I was impressed. Good job, guys. Man, it's so good to have each and every one of you in the house today. To all of our LifePoint friends and family, thank you so much for worshiping with us. To those of you online, thank you for worshiping with us. Now, uh, we're excited because today we're kicking off a brand new series. And if we've never met before, my name is Andrew Garcia. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at LifePoint. And it's an honor to be able to share God's word with you this morning. But here's the thing. If you've never heard a a word of God from our pastor, senior pastor, Danny Rivers, please do yourself a favor and come back and check him out. We are blessed to have a great spiritual leader and a man of God who loves God, loves people, and wants to connect people to God. So if you love your pastors, Danny and Rachel Rivers, can you give it up for them right now? So here we go, new series today called Words from the Cross. And here's the thing, don't judge me, but I really love watching people. And quite honestly, I love watching people because I like making fun of people. Um, Now, I, I might be a pastor, but hey, I am indeed only a man, just in case you did not know. And often I find myself examining how people embrace and engage with each other when it comes to the words that are spoken to them. And the truth is, is we all know that words are powerful. Depending on who they come from, though, elicits different responses. Like, think about this. Like, if you were to walk up to me and be like, hey, can you go ahead and take out the trash? I'm going to look at you and be like, boo-boo, you got two hands and two feet that God blessed you with. You can take the trash out yourself. But if my boo thing walks up and says, honey, can you take out the trash? Yes, ma'am, right away, ma'am, double time. Do you want me to make the bed too on my way out the door? Come on, any men in the house, feel me. I guess we don't have very men in the house, very many men, but hey, don't worry, we'll fix that. Words, when they are used, who is using them and what words are spoken cause us to either lean in or have selective hearing and tune out. In the series that we're starting today, the words that we're going to be exploring over the next several weeks are words that have the potential to shape worlds. You see, of all the words that were spoken and have been recorded across history, none are more important than the words that have been spoken by Jesus. And even of the words that Jesus has spoken, I would wager that the ones that matter most are the ones that he spoke while hanging on the cross. You see, I think that we've lost the potency and the power of what happened in the crucifixion. What that really means for us. You know, for a lot of us, we we wear, you know, crosses around our necks. We tattoo them on our arms. We, We got shirts with these beautiful mosaics and patterns. We hang crosses on our walls. But the truth is the cross was anything but beautiful. The cross that Jesus endured, that he hung from, was not a pretty sight. The amount of pain that Jesus would have physically endured for many of us would would be and is incomprehensible. 
You see, Jesus' journey to the cross began in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus goes to the garden praying, knowing that he is about to forfeit his life. And he begins to experience a kind of mental, emotional, physical anguish that is turning his stomach inside out. You know what I'm talking about, knots and butterflies beginning to form in the pit of your stomach. So great was the weight that Jesus physically begins to sweat drops of blood. This is known as hematidrosis, a condition where the capillary blood vessels that feed into your sweat glands rupture and you begin to bleed drops of blood. It occurs underneath extreme conditions of physical or emotional stress. And here's the thing. I I want you to think about the last time you were stressed or anxious. You felt like it was going to break you, didn't you? Imagine the kind of weight in this moment that Jesus is under for his body to begin to physically break down. And Jesus even asked God in this moment, please, God, would you let this responsibility pass me by? I know what you're asking me to do, but if I'm honest, I don't want to have to do it. But not my will, yours be done. And then Judas, one of the 12 disciples, he comes and betrays Jesus, and Jesus is arrested. And he's taken to the courts where Jesus begins to take a beat down. And then they blindfold him and they begin to strike him again over and over and over. Prophet, prophesy to us who it is that is hitting you. If you are who you say you are, you should know who just hit you. And the truth is, there's, there's no telling how long this actually went on for. Like until they got bored or until they were physically tired from beating Jesus. They spit on him, they walk out, and now Jesus is brought to Pontius Pilate, who realizes in a conversation with Jesus, this man is innocent. He hasn't done a single thing wrong. Pilate wants to release him. He wants to let Jesus go, but there is a line in the record of Luke That says, but the shouts of the people prevailed, crucify, crucify, crucify him. Fine. Pilate washes his hands of it and sentences Jesus. And he's stripped naked and is prepared to be crucified. Jesus now would have been led to a pole and a cat of nine tails would have been brought out. This is a tool made of leather with nine different strands that have glass and nails and hooks. It's a device that was intended to torture an offender. And then it begins. Over and over and over and over, they begin to whip the back of Jesus. And with each whip, the body would be broken Flesh would be ripped off the bones, blood, tissue, muscles. His back would be unrecognizable by the time they were done. At the crack or the final lash, Jesus would have been laying there in a pool of his own blood where they would have unchained him, taken a crown of thorns and pushed it into his brow and then told him, now stand up and pick up your cross and go. The 650-foot journey 
about two football fields to Golgotha, the place of the skull begins. If Jesus dragged the entire cross, it would have weighed around 300 pounds. If he was only responsible for the cross beam, 55 pounds, which still would have been excruciating considering what his body just endured. So broken is his body that at some point his strength fails him and Jesus crumbles to the ground. He can no longer carry the cross. And they pull someone from the crowd and force them to help him make it there. And finally, as they get to the top of the hill, the cross is laid down and Jesus is laid down on top. Jesus would have been fixed to the cross with spikes five to seven inches long that would have been driven through each of his wrists and one through his feet. And there are no major arteries at the sites of the nailings, but the spikes would have hit any number of crucial nerves that are in both of these areas and that are in his feet, which would have resulted in excruciating firebolt kind of feeling pain that would have shot through his body. Then they would have raised him up. He would have been suspended upright, weight being pulled by his arms, his legs underneath him. This position would have almost immediately started to reduce his respiratory capacity, right? Oxygen not making it into his bloodstream the way that it needs to, setting the stage for eventual suffocation. You see, the point of crucifixion was to strangle an offender underneath the weight of their own body, to have them endure as much pain for as long as possible, for as long as they were willing to fight for their own life. Suffering would have been intense as muscle cramps would have begun to develop. Agonizing shooting pain from the nerve injuries, every breath would have been a battle for Jesus to take. In order to speak, he would have to push himself up by his feet driving the nail deeper into his flesh just to take a breath of air. Consider then the other discomforts. Insects burrowing into his eyes, his ears, his nose, birds landing on the cross, picking up at open wounds. Because of the way that Jesus' respiratory system was compromised, speaking as scripture tells us that he did seven different times would have been excruciatingly painful. And exhaling, the component of breathing that helps permit speech would have been the most agonizing part of a crucifixion. Because the chest's role and the respiratory part would have been compromised, Jesus would have been controlling the intake of his air with the muscles of his abdominal walls, right? And he just got ripped to shreds. The pain would have been overwhelming all the way until he breathed his very last breath. This is why the words spoken on the cross by Jesus are so important. They would have been intentional. He spoke them deliberately. You see, regardless of what you believe about the resurrection, what is undeniable in history is that Jesus was. He was a man who lived, breathed, and was crucified, which means that before you can even contend with the reality of the resurrection, you have to engage the record of accounts, statements of what he said that are undeniably supernatural in nature. 
And we get so comfortable sometimes reading our Bible that we often miss what it is that we're reading. We have to see it. And I think this is why the gospel accounts provide so much information to us. The authors are begging us, asking us, you've been given all of this information, but how will you respond to it? What is it that you see? Or will you walk away from the text blinded? So what does Jesus say? Turn with me to Luke 23, verses 33 through 34. This is the first statement that Jesus makes when hanging on the cross. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there. Along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing and they divided up his clothes by casting lots. You see, for the crowd watching, for the soldiers executing, this was like any other day for them. And when Jesus says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, what he's saying is, Father, they're looking at me right now and they do not get it. They're looking at what they're doing. They're looking at your salvation. They're looking at the greatest thing that has ever happened in the history of the world, and it has not clicked. And I'm, I'm not sure about you, but on my worst day, I'm not thinking I really should forgive so-and-so for being such an idiot. In our worst moments, what is really in our hearts finds its way out through our words, our actions, our motivations make themselves known. And Jesus in this moment isn't just practicing what he preached. The true motivations of his heart are being squeezed out of him. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Jesus said this, long before being crucified. And on the moment that his, his pain would test the truth, his heart is shown. How is it possible that that is what Jesus had on his mind in the moment that he is being presently killed? Have you ever stopped to consider the question, what is the great why that is driving Jesus to say, Father, forgive them? It's, Jesus is not up on the cross levering, leveraging some kind of five-point way to forgive people. He's not working through some logical checklist of how to love others well. He just is. What kind of love is this? What possibly motivated Jesus to forgive the men who were in the very act of killing him? Father, forgive them. And if we as Christians are supposed to be the people of Jesus and we're supposed to follow him in every way, we really need to get a grasp on what's happening here. Because this is no small moment. How is it that we can face the person that has wounded us deeply and ask God to forgive them? How do we love our enemies well? How are we supposed to be kind to the cruel? Loving those who actually want to do damage, harm to us, who would actually be willing to kill us if given the chance. 
Logically, it makes no sense. And yet this is exactly what Jesus says while he's hanging on the cross. And this is what he calls those of us who believe in him to do as well. To this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. An example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You know what I think? I think that Jesus is trying to show us that he had comfort and confidence in God as his father. Jesus was trying to help us understand that he had comfort and confidence in God as his father. Jesus could see past them and trust the father who owned his story. Jesus believed the God who owns my my life, the course of my life will determine my end. He is the one who runs my story, not the men who are hurting me. Jesus could see beyond the present by trusting the God that holds the future. He trusted the promise that was coming, the joy of the union with God and the glory that awaited him of the throne that God was holding for him. He centered himself on the one who he knew loved him more than life itself. And with that, Jesus says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Jesus knew that the one that he was connected to, the creator of all the universe, held all the power in the world. He says it in John, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. If the creator of the universe is for me, who then can be against me? If God has me in his hand, who actually has the capacity to take me out of it? Comfort and confidence come when we realize our place of abundance. That's what Jesus is trying to show us, Ephesians. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance and he makes everything, everything work out according to his plan. We receive an inheritance. Heirs to God. And he makes everything work out according to his plan. You see... When you have an abundance of something, you realize that you have it in you to be generous. When you have an abundance of time, it's like nothing in the world makes you angry. 
Like, it's okay if somebody cuts you off. You're like, man, oh, no worries. Merge, no, no big deal. I do it sometimes too. But when you don't have an abundance of time, you're laughing. Every slow driver is an idiot. Every time someone cuts you off, you want to cut them for Jesus. When scarcity kicks in, what, I'm sorry, you said you were going to be ready 30 minutes ago. What do you mean you're going to change your outfit one more time? I thought you said you were ready to go. You see, insecurity, scarcity lead to hostility. When we feel like we don't have enough of something, how we engage those around us changes, even those that we love. Like, do you have any idea how many times I have been to Chick-fil-A and I've asked my wife what it is that you like? Oh my gosh, I'd like a salad. (laughs) Okay, just a salad. Like, you sure you don't want any fries? Because we all know that medium fries, even large fries... From Chick-fil-A, it's not enough glory for me to eat and be happy at the end of my meal. So when you tell me that all you want is a salad, I intend to get enough fries for guess who? Just me. (laughs) But what happens when I get home and I see that white hand sliding across the side because she's tired of eating her grass and wants my carbs? (laughs) Suddenly hostility kicks in. Because I intended to finish this meal and all the fries that came with it, and I know now I'm going to be unsatisfied because she took a single fry and I'm insecure. (laughs) When we feel like we don't have enough of something and someone touches that something, hostility rises from a place of insecurity. Like you want real marriage counseling? Go to Chick-fil-A, buy a single meal, spread it out in front of the two of you, Learn to share that meal and learn to not be bitter by the time you're done. And if you can get through that, you're good. Your marriage is solid. Jesus drew on the source of life, God as his resource in his time of need because God has the abundance that we're looking for. Jesus responded on the cross from his place in God, a place of comfort and confidence and abundance. And what we see written in Galatians, but when the time, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. If we are in God, and all of this world belongs to him, then that means it also belongs to us. If the most powerful person in the world knows your name and not, not, doesn't just know your name but loves you, you have access to him and all that comes with him, which means that in the end, because I know that, then I can have comfort and confidence from a place of abundance, which is why I think Jesus is able to show the kind of compassion that he shows. Remember, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They do not know what it is that they are doing. This is compassion. 
bleeding out of him, literally. Turn back with me to John, chapter 9, verse 39. Jesus says, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, so that those who are blind can see me, and that those who think they're seeing will become blind. You see, the reason for Jesus' earthly ministry was to secure our salvation. This required judgment on and against sin, which means that as a result of Jesus' ministry, eventually condemnation comes to those who reject him. Jesus is praying at the cross for the blindness that he has seen and is seeing now as he is hanging. And John is opening us up to very two important realities here. You see, when we're confronted with Jesus, we only have one of two choices, to embrace him or to reject him. And if we encounter Jesus and find nothing to desire, nothing to admire, nothing to love, then we have condemned ourselves. But if we come to Jesus and we find someone to wonder at, someone to respond to, someone to touch and engage with, then we are on our way to discovering God. You see, those who are conscious of their own blindness, who long to see, truly see, to know more, are men and women whose eyes can be opened and led into deeper truth. But those who believe that they know it all don't realize how truly blind and beyond help and hope they are. Only those who realize their weakness can experience the strength of God. Only those who realize their own blindness can learn to see. Only those who realize their own brokenness, the damage that they've caused to others, the damage that they have in their own life can be forgiven. And Jesus is praying, God, let them see me because they don't understand. God, help them to see me because they do not seem to get it. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. In what? In the face of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Jesus recognizes their spiritual blindness. They can't see what they can't see. And Jesus has compassion on them out of the comfort, confidence, and abundance of who he is in the Father. And he's pleading with them, Father, help the captives see. They do not know what it is that they're doing. It's it's not that they don't have an awareness of what was taking place. They're crucifying a man. For the crowds, for the soldiers, this was just another day. They didn't have a grasp on the fullness of the situation. 
They didn't understand who it was that was actually on the cross. The crowds had so dehumanized Jesus that they no longer saw him as a man. And the soldiers had done this so many times that life and death were just another day for them. It was just part of normal, everyday life. And Jesus is saying there is a spiritual blindness that they have. And he recognizes they need help. They don't see how they are impacting and hurting others. They are prisoners entangled in the mind of their own sin, their own brokenness. They cannot see what they are doing. But for those of us who have seen Jesus, we have experienced a kind of love, a kind of kindness that changes us from the inside out. Light has broken through our darkness and it was never by our own doing. Jesus did it for us. How is it that I have come to know God? I was blind and now I see because of the grace of Jesus on the cross. The very prayer that he's making for them, he made for you and me. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. In other words, help them see. And over and over and over again in scripture, what we find written is when someone opposes you, when someone is attacking you, don't fight back. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. And perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses then they will be able to see and escape from the devil's trap for they have been held captive by him to do whatever it is that he wants. Speak to them in kindness. Be gentle to your enemies and those that oppose you and attack you. Why? Because they can experience, could experience the same grace that you did. And if and when they do, they're gonna recognize who it is that they were before Jesus and who they can now become in him just like me and you. Don't see an enemy, see a prisoner. See somebody captive to sin. Jesus isn't, he's not trying to excuse behavior. It doesn't mean that what they did wasn't evil. Forgiveness does not minimize evil, it recognizes captivity. And when it sees the captivity in others, it recognizes I had that captivity too before Jesus opened my eyes. I had that same kind of hatred too before Jesus stepped into my world. I lacked that kind of love as well until Jesus showed me what it really meant. We too were slaves to sin. It was his grace that saves us. I came across a story this week of a man named John M. Perkins. And John Perkins was a black man born in 1930, the youngest of five children in New Hebron, uh, Mississippi. When he was 17 years old, he fled to California after his older brother was murdered by the town marshal. And Perkins vowed to never return home. But then something happened after he accepted Christ in 1570, 15, 1957. He felt called to return back home to share the gospel of Christ with those still living in the area. But he had outspoken support and had a leadership role in a civil rights movement that began to swell within his city. 
and began to experience repeated harassment, imprisonment, and beatings. And then something happened in 1917, 1970. John traveled to Brandon, Mississippi to post bail for some friends who had been arrested during a civil rights movement. And what happened that night changed him. He recalls, I should have never gone, but I didn't realize the depth of hatred whenever someone in those days would get arrested in pursuit of their civil rights. As he stepped out of the van in the parking lot at the police station, he recalls a dozen officers coming out of the building and they started beating him and the men who were with him. And then they arrested them and pulled them into the, into the building where the real nightmare began to take place. All through the night, he was beaten over and over and over and over again with a steel ball on the handle of a club, stomped on while he was on the ground, a fork being jammed up his nose. He was beaten until they thought that he was dead. And in a book, he writes about one moment in particular. I remember their faces so twisted with hate. It was like looking at white-faced demons. And for the first time I saw what hate had done to those people. But the first, the first time I was able to see what hate had done to those people, he was able to separate the sin and the sinner. These policemen were poor. They saw themselves as failures. The only way they knew how to find a sense of worth was by beating us. Their racism made them feel like somebody. And when they saw, and when I saw that, I just couldn't hate back. I could only pity them. And I said to God that night, God, if you would only let me out of this jail alive, and I did not think that he would, I really want to preach the gospel that will heal even these people too. Perkins came out alive with a new call in his life, a call to preach the gospel that now extended to whites. How did this happen? When he saw the men, when he looked them in the eyes, those who were beating him, God opened his eyes to the reality that these men are not your enemies. They're just captives to sin. They too are broken. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What is the conviction of the cross? That love can change you. That love has the power to change everything. Love is what brings life change. It's what transforms us from the inside out. There are no prerequisites to faith other than belief. Jesus says, come as you are. Come with all your imperfections, with all your bruises, with all your brokenness, with all your damage, and see how as we journey together, my love will begin to change you. The words that Jesus spoke on the cross are for two people. Those of us who need forgiveness and those of us who need to forgive. For those of us who need forgiveness, Jesus wants you to know that it's okay to not be okay, but he does not want you to stay that way. He knows that you've been hurt. He knows that you've hurt others. He doesn't hold that against you, but he does want to heal you. 
He wants to hold you close and help you recognize that with him, you have access to a comfort, a confidence, and an abundance that can change your life and help you live in a way that changes the world. You don't have to look at yourself the way that you do with shame and disgust and hatred and hopelessness and pity. Jesus has given all of himself to you so that way you can have the life that he's come to bring you. And for those who need to forgive, he wants you to know that you don't have to hold on to your hate for what that person, those people did to you. God is the one who holds your future in his hands and this too will pass. And I know it's heavy and I know it's hard and I know it doesn't feel like it'll end and I know it keeps you up at night, but God is with you. He's never left you. He has never forsaken you. He has always been with you. He writes your story. No one else does. You've been done wrong. Evil has been committed against you. He's not asking you to excuse it, but he is saying you need to let it go. Stop reliving the past in your present. Don't let your future be dictated by those who are hurting themselves. Pray for your enemies and let your life through love with God open their eyes to a deeper truth and reality of comfort, confidence, and abundance that you have found in Jesus that you hope and pray they will too. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are before you in this place, God, today, bear. God, you see us. You see every part of our lives inside and out. You know exactly the moment that we are enduring, that we are going through. You see the heaviness of our hearts. And God, you gave us the cross to show us the lengths to which you would go to prove to us how much you love me how much you love us. God, help us. God, in our moments of weakness to recognize that you can be our source of strength. Open our eyes, God, to the blind spots that we have where you are calling us, God, pushing us to change. God, help us to realize that in you there is more. There is life and life abundant. There is a different way to experience the world that is full of hope and expectation and encouragement. God, for those of us in this space, God, who need forgiveness, help us to feel your overwhelming love right now in this moment. God, touch our hearts and let us know that you have never left us, you've never forsaken us, you have always been right with us. And there is nothing that we could do, there is nothing that we have done that would ever separate us from your love. You love us from the inside and out and our past is our past and with you our present and our future can be something incredible and beautiful. And for those of us, God, in this place who need to forgive, God, give us the courage to do what you did on the cross. God, help this, this season, this circumstance to squeeze love out of us. Help this pain, God, 
Help us to recognize that we can have a confidence and a strength and an abundance that rests in you, not in us. We're limited, but you are limitless. In Jesus' name, give us the power and the strength. Spur us on to live a life that is anchored and rooted in you. Be our everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can we give it up to him in this place? Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.